You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. He hated Christians, and it was spiritual. And he's a very religious man. You can't get more religious than Saul of Tarsus. In regard to legalistic righteousness, he was flawless. He was a Pharisee. I mean, you can't get more religious than that. But he didn't know God, and he didn't know he didn't know God. It was religious people that murdered most of the prophets. It was the religious people that plotted to put Jesus on the cross. You realize right now, much of hell is populated by religious people. I hate to say that, but that's the truth. There is a very big difference between being religious and having a relationship with the living God. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he shares with you the importance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was once very zealous for God, but he was persecuting Christians because of religion. He didn't really know God. Pastor Danny explains what happens when a person truly knows God. They completely transform. Saul transformed into the Apostle Paul. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 John chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. First John chapter three, you may get tired of me uh, doing this, but I'm going to once again ask you that you're in chapter three. Look quickly at chapter five and verse 13, because this is the reason for this little epistle. This is the motive that the Holy Spirit put behind John's pen to write this little epistle. Here it is. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know you have eternal life. Now, I know how it goes. I mean, a week's gone by, and I forget what I said a week ago, but there were three points last week. I went back for myself and reviewed them, and three evidences that you're the real deal, that you really do have eternal life. And one is you got the right Jesus, and we talked about a lot of Jesuses out here. There are a lot of false Christ. Make sure you get the right one. And if you weren't with us, you say, well, how do I know I got the right one? He's God very God, capital G, capital O, capital D, and he was with the Father from the beginning and understand there was no beginning with God, all right? He's without beginning of days or end of life. That's the right Jesus. You get any other Jesus, you got the wrong Jesus. He's God, equal with the Father. That's the right Jesus. And then second, uh, purity of life, because we have the hope of seeing him one day. We will see him. We'll live with him forever. He who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So it's an ongoing. It's not a sinless perfection, but it is a purity of life, and that's evidence that I'm the real deal. Uh, and then third, very practical, you can't keep on sinning. doesn't mean you, you, you sin less, but you can't live that lifestyle of sin anymore. Because first of all, conviction. And second, if you're a true child of God, second is correction. Uh, you go into the woodshed. If you keep on, if you keep on in it, you're going to the woodshed because God, you're his child. 
and he loves you enough, and he, he disciplines those he loves. Now, to connect last week with this week, you go back chapter 3, verse 10, and here's what it says. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. And that's what he moves into now. Verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, so he wasn't saved, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. I don't know if you know that story, uh, but you can take a quick look back in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve's uh, first two kids, Cain and Abel, brothers. And Genesis chapter 4, you pick it up in the middle of verse 2, it says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, I've heard messages where uh, preachers suggest, and, and maybe there's something to it, that God was not pleased with Cain's offering because it came from the soil. He was, he was a farmer, basically. And Abel, because he brought uh, a blood sacrifice, that, that's why God was pleased with it. But I think it goes beyond that. And the text tells us it goes beyond that. And 1 John tells us it goes beyond that. Look at the next verse here in Genesis 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Catch this, verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? That tells us he knew what he had done wrong. He knew what was wrong. He knew what was wrong in his life. He's not a saved man. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. The reason, and after this, Cain goes out, leads his brother out in the field, and there he murders him. He kills him. And why did he kill him? John told us why he killed him. Because Abel was a saved man, a righteous man by faith, and Cain was not righteous by faith. One was saved, the other was lost. And the lost brother killed the saved brother. That's why he killed him. That was his motive. Now, that's interesting. Go back to 1 John chapter 3 and look at the next verse, verse 13. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised. And it's the same reason Cain hated Abel. And by the way, that's our first evidence on the continuing evidence that you're a true child of God. You're hated by the world. John's Gospel chapter 15 John chapter 15, and if you have a red letter edition, you will find this section is in red letters. What does that mean? It means that this is Jesus speaking. John chapter 15, verse 18. Listen to what Jesus said. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They will treat you this way, get this, because of my name, Jesus, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now, if you jump down to verse 25, 
Fascinating. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. That's in two places, Psalm 35, verse 19, and Psalm 69, verse 4. They are both messianic prophecies in the Psalms about Messiah. Psalm 69 is fascinating because it also says uh, in that uh, Psalm that zeal for your house consumes me, and the disciples remembered that after the resurrection, after Jesus, uh, well, it wasn't even after the resurrection. They, they thought about it. Maybe it was after the resurrection anyway. They remembered it. When he drove out the money changers in the temple, and they remembered, zeal for your house will consume me. And then it talks about the gall and the vinegar that he was given to drink on the cross there in Psalm 69. Very specific prophecies about Messiah. In, in Luke chapter 24, the last chapter, Jesus appears to his disciples in his resurrection state. And after he rebukes them for not believing the ladies that saw him, and the first ones to witness his resurrection, he says to them uh, there, everything that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And it's interesting, two Psalms talks about the hatred that they would have toward Jesus Christ. And it would be for no reason, for no reason, because it's spiritual. And he says, look, they hated me, they're gonna hate you. Now, it includes religious people. This is, blows my mind. <laughs> Remember Saul of Tarsus before he got saved on the road to Damascus? He's persecuting Christians, think he's doing, thinking he's doing God a service. Here's what it says about that point in his life. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats, murderous threats. He hated Christians, and it was spiritual. And he's a very religious man. You can't get more religious than Saul of Tarsus. In regard to legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. He was a Pharisee. I mean, you can't get more religious than that. But he didn't know God, and he didn't know he didn't know God. It was religious people that murdered most of the prophets. It was the religious people that plotted to put Jesus on the cross. You realize right now, much of hell is populated by religious people. I hate to say that, but that's the truth. John's Gospel, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. Jesus, on one of the several uh, encounters with Pharisees, religious people, religious leaders, this is one of those occasions. And as he's conversing with them, he says, verse 37, John chapter 8, I know you are Abraham's descendants, because they kept saying that, we're Abraham's descendants. And they're talking about physical descendants. He says, I know you're Abraham's physical descendants, yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they immediately say, Abraham is our father. He says, if you were Abraham's children, now he's talking spiritual children. If you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. And they say, we are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. Verse 42, Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own. He sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. Wow. Very religious people that are not saved, and there'll be religious people in the world, and they will hate us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And they hate us for no reason. 
It's spiritual. This is a very, well, for, for a while it was a troubling verse to me. I didn't understand it. We're hated because of righteousness. Uh, this verse, Romans 5, 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. I didn't understand that verse for a while. Didn't understand it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's with the Lord now, but he, he is writing his messages. Here's what he says from one of them. The world does not hate good people. The world only hates Christian people. That is the subtle, vital distinction. If you are just a good person, the world, far from hating you, will admire you. It will cheer you. You understand what he's getting at? Those who are truly children of God, righteous by faith. Hey, if you're a good person in the world, you know, the world's going to love you. But you see, it's a spiritual thing. Once you get connected with Jesus, the right Jesus, then there's a problem because it's spiritual. And the hatred, listen to this, it comes from all kinds of diverse groups. I mean, groups that have nothing in common, that would never get together on an issue. Matthew 22 talks about the Herodians and the Pharisees getting together to come and try to catch Jesus and, and, and condemn him about something he says. They're trying to trap him. Of course, nobody ever could. But the Herodians and the Pharisees getting together on anything is, is more improbable, almost impossible, than the Democrats and Republicans getting together on anything. The Herodians advocated compromise uh, with Herod and with Rome uh, because they wanted, they wanted no trouble. But the Pharisees, no, nah, they didn't have that same opinion. And the Herodians and the Pharisees would never get together on anything, but they will get together against Jesus. Amazing how you can do all kinds of charitable things, you know, and the world thinks it's great until you say we're doing it in the name of Jesus. We're doing the same thing. We're doing good. We're doing good. We're reaching out, but we're doing it in the name of Jesus. And that's when they, that's when they get all, all messed up about it because it's in the name of Jesus. We're doing it for Jesus because it's spiritual. And look, look we're going to leave this, but it shouldn't surprise us because Jesus told us the world hated me. It's going to hate you. And it won't because you've done something wrong. Now, you might do something wrong, but this is not the reason. It's spiritual. It's because you're connected to me. Now, I got a, a really difficult question to ask you. And if you got the answer, if you got the answer when I ask it, I want you to answer me out loud, out loud. As soon as you think you got the answer, I want you to answer me out loud. You got it? Here's the question. What is the opposite of hate? Love. You're just as smart as the other two services. <laughs> Go back to 1 John. So don't be surprised, the world's going to hate us. But look at verse 14 of 1 John 3. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Then it gets real practical, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Now, did you catch the practicality in that? Whenever I'm going, gosh, am I really saved? I just don't feel like I'm saved sometimes. I don't feel like I act like I'm saved sometimes. And right here he's saying, one of the ways I can know that's an evidence, an evidence that I'm the real deal is love. 
But not love, not just, not just, oh, I'm praying for you, not just I love you. No, what I do. If I can't look at my life, if I can't look at my life and see where some of my paycheck, some of my possessions perhaps, actually goes in a tangible way to help somebody, if there's no track record of that in my life, that's a real problem. That's a real problem because this is one of the evidences. This is how much I set my heart at rest. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And we can really look at our lives and go, is there anything about my life, especially on this point, where I'm a giver and not just a taker? Am I spending my paycheck just on me and just on my family? Are my possessions, are they just for me and my family? It's amazing how many times uh, this comes up in, in the scriptures. I just want you to go to a few with me, just a few. Just go to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. I mean, it just repeatedly comes up. Just watch this. I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37 is the parable of the Good Samaritan, we call it. And Jesus told the parable in response to an expert in the law asking him a question. This is a guy who knows his Bible backwards and forward. He's an expert in the law. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, the guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he wanted to justify himself. So he said, so who's my neighbor? And then Jesus told the parable. The guy who gets robbed going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So the implication is he's a Jewish man. He gets robbed. He gets beaten. Priest comes by, doesn't do anything. Levite comes by, doesn't do anything. And the most least likely person, a Samaritan, because Samaritans and Jews had no relationship. They didn't like each other. And the Samaritan, look what it says in verse 34. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. Next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus said to the expert in the law, go and do likewise, and that'll be the evidence that you have eternal life. That'll be the evidence. Not only love, but love to someone in a tangible, practical way that you wouldn't even normally associate with. You don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about. But that'll be the evidence. Now, you go from here, Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. A guy in the crowd says, Jesus, my brother won't give me the inheritance. And Jesus says, man, who made me an arbiter between you and your brother? And then he takes the opportunity and he says, watch out for all kinds of greed. Then he tells another parable about a rich man who produced, had a, a good crop, and I mean, he just, his stock investment just goes crazy, basically. And he says, what am I going to do? I'll just build bigger barns, and I'll retire early, and I'll take life easy. And God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul will be required from you. This is your last day living on planet Earth. You're going to die. Then who's going to get what you saved up for yourself? This is how to be with anyone who's rich, in this life, but not rich toward God. 
And then you look, chapter 12, verse 32 of Luke. Listen to what Jesus said. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. For no, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then you go to chapter 16. And boy, does Jesus really upset the Pharisees here. Here's what he says to them. Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Notice the next verse. The Pharisees who loved money and heard all this were sneering at Jesus. They didn't like what he had to say. Chapter 16, verse 19, he tells the story about the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man has a beggar laid at his gate. He must have passed by him often, but he doesn't reach out to help him at all. Came time, rich man dies. He wakes up in the grave in a place we call hell, where there's fire. He's tormented. He's lost. And the sign in this life that he was lost is he just lived for himself and spent his money for himself and his own family. Beggar dies, he wakes up in Abraham's bosom, place of comfort, where all the Old Testament saints went before Jesus died on the cross. And now, that's been emptied out there with the Father. But it's interesting, the sign in this life, the evidence in this life, to which one was saved and which one was lost, the rich man was lost because he just lived for himself. And then you get to chapter 18, Beginning in verse 18, it's the story of the rich young ruler. He also comes and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, I believe he was a very morally upright young man, respected in the community. And then Jesus said, well, there's one more thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. You'll have great riches in heaven. And it says he went away very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And despite his belief in God, despite his upright standing in the community, the evidence that he was not saved was what he was not willing to do with his money and his possessions. Amazing. This practical love, the priority is the family of God. Now, don't misunderstand. Don't lose me here. Didn't say we're not to love the world. But the priority of this practical love is the family of God. Listen, Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially the family of believers. There's the priority. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Greatest witness, numero uno, that we have to the world is by how we love one another in very tangible ways, very practical ways. Greatest evidence. Paul writes in Acts 20, and everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If I really believe that, then I'll give more than I receive. If I really believe that. Catch this one. Ephesians. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Why? Because he became a Christian. But must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And the priority is the family of God. That's where it begins. Now, I want to give you some biblical and practical ways to live this out. Practical ways to prove that we are the real deal. We are 
Christ's disciples and children of God. And first is corporate giving. There's a lot of scriptures here. We're not going to turn to all of them. Acts 4, the first one, is the early church. And it tells us there that grace was upon that church. Much grace was upon them. And some people were being led. They would sell a field. They would sell a house. The implication is it's an extra house. It's an extra field they didn't really need. And they come and they bring the monies from those sales. And it says they laid it at the apostles' feet. They delivered it to the church. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. Thanks for tuning in. John the Apostle had a unique relationship with Jesus, and it shows in his writing. He knew Jesus in a personal way, and John knew him to be God. Sometimes it's hard to tell what's real in this world. But as John wrote, Jesus is the real deal. As we continue to journey through the book of 1 John, evaluate your own relationship with Jesus. Do you know him in a deep and personal way? Do you know him to be the real thing? If you're struggling with this, spend time in the Word and ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you. We also encourage you to keep seeking Him, and we'll continue to pray for you as you grow in your faith. Would you also be willing to pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and foremost too. Thank you so much for praying. If you're looking for a church home and live in or near the St. Petersburg area, we want to connect with you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We also live stream our services. Find out more at ccfstpete.church. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. And with that, we hope you'll join us again next time to learn more from the book of 1 John right here on The Living Word.